switch. What's the signal? I don't know. <laughs> Just wave. <laughs> All right, well, welcome. Uh, my name's Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. If you are visiting us today, uh, it's great to see you here. If you're, uh, if you're visiting from uh, away, uh, excellent. I've spotted a few people. Uh, Rich and Natalia, great to have you here with your dad from uh, Ottawa. And uh, I'm sure there's other people as well visiting family for Thanksgiving. Um, we are looking, as I've been preaching over the last few weeks, um, at who we are as a church. And we've called this series, This Is Us. And last week we looked at uh, the message of grace and how grace was so foundational to who we are as a church. And if you weren't here and didn't hear that message, I encourage you uh, listen to it, because what I'm going to say today is going to be the second part of that message. I'm going to build upon that. Uh, if you're wondering why there's a big uh, gap of people or no people here in the middle, um, it could be because it's Thanksgiving. It could be because they heard the message last week, and when I said you don't need to come to the meeting anyway, um, because you're accepted by God, and so they stayed at home in bed. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll see. Please do stay, and uh, if you get a chance to listen to last week's, great, and uh, I'll try and give you a little bit of a brief recap uh, right from the start now, and we'll see where we go. So we looked at what grace was, and uh, let's see if this can work now. No, it doesn't. Oh, well, things are going well, but never mind. So now you've got to move that on and fix my microphone, and uh, <laughs> no rest. All right, we looked at what grace was, and grace was the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. That was the dictionary definition of grace. So we looked at that. Basically, God giving for free what we haven't earned. God giving for free what we haven't earned and what we don't deserve. And what he does give us is salvation, eternal life with him, and blessings Many, many blessings, and we looked at what some of those blessings might be. You know, most people, they just try and figure out life as they go, and they try and navigate their own way towards success, but it doesn't always work. In fact, usually it doesn't work. Um, last January, um, Ollie, uh, who's uh, leading the meeting today, and Brent, who you saw um, earlier, we've got another picture of Brent, actually, uh, with his new baby, Caden. Uh, which will come up behind you in a moment, behind me in a moment. Um, Ollie and uh, Brent and I went to Minnesota for a church conference. And uh, while we were there, we realized that also playing uh, in the NFL that week were the Minnesota Vikings. And it was the playoffs. And uh, they were playing in their first divisional playoff game for many years. And uh, I never really watched football before, American football as we call it from, uh, from England. Um, but I've uh, never really watched football before. But Brent is a big fan of the Baltimore Ravens, as you would see um, if you had the picture up, because he was wearing a hat with the Baltimore Ravens logo on it. And he'd never been to an NFL game. Brent had never been to an NFL game. He'd never been on a bus. <laughs> that is true. He's only recently been on a bus and an escalator. That was a new thing for him as well. Um, <laughs> so Brent knows how to live the life. And we can tease him because he's not even here. Um, <laughs> so he'd never been to an NFL game. And we were just 20 minutes away from the stadium. But the tickets were all sold out. Uh, we went on some of the resale sites, StubHub, uh, places like that. The only place we could find tickets, but they were over $200 for a single ticket, over $200 for a ticket. And we just couldn't afford 200 American dollars for a ticket. So what we decided to do was we waited until the game had started, and we thought, well, we'll wander down to the stadium. It's just 10, 15 minutes away. We, we hadn't quite figured out that there was a huge blizzard going on at the time, and uh, there was thick snow, things like that. We wandered down uh, to the stadium, and we thought, well, maybe the price on some of these resale tickets will have come down by the time the game started, and we can pick them up for like 50 bucks or something like that. So, uh, but that actually didn't prove to be the case. There he is, there's, uh, there's Brent with his Baltimore Ravens hat on. Um, so, um, as we're walking down, and we're walking on down this back street, and, it, and it's snowing, there's a blizzard, we see this guy from across the street. And he says, he shouts across to us, do you want tickets for the game? 
So we were like, oh, um, sure. Are you, are you selling them? He said, yeah, sure. I've got some tickets. So I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's good. So he wanders, o- he wanders over. And we said to him, how much are you selling them for? And he said, uh, about $200. Uh, $200. And I said, ah, oh, do you know what? And so here I'm thinking, now I'm in my element, because I like to negotiate uh, a good deal. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. So I'm, I'm saying, wow, well, we can't afford $200. We haven't got that much with us. We, um, and the game's already begun, and you're out here in the snow. There's no one else walking past. You know, everyone else is at the game. I, and he said, well, how much have you got? So we said, well, we've probably got about 80 each. Um, so he's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm going to call my manager. And he calls up someone on the phone. Yeah, and eventually he says, yeah, $80 each. We'll give you some tickets. So we're like, amazing. We've got tickets for the big game. We couldn't believe it. We went skipping down the road. Oh, Brent went skipping down the road. And we watched him go. Um, and... Uh, so we get to the stadium and we're super excited. The atmosphere is there. You can hear everyone. And we give our tickets in uh, to the guy at the scanner. And he puts his ticket on, our ticket under the scanner. He puts the first one under. And this red light comes up. And I'm like, hmm, that doesn't look too good. And he said, oh, well, I'll just try again. Sometimes these are a little bit crinkled. They don't quite read right. He puts it under. Mm, red light. Well, let's try a second one. Tries it again. Red light. And he goes, oh, you, you probably just need to go and see that guy over there. So we wander out, oh, and at this point, I'm like, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. So we wander over to the other guy, and he looks at the tickets, and he says, well, where did you get these tickets from? I said, well, we just bought them on the street. <laughs> He's going, what, from a scalper? Yeah. Because you shouldn't do that, you know? And I was like, yeah. He said, they're fake. They're fake. They're worthless. He said, you can't get in with these tickets. And we were just like, oh. You know, we thought we'd figured it all out. We thought we'd got the best way to get in. We thought it was going to be okay. We're hoping for the best. But it wasn't. And that's what we can be like in life. So we had to go to the stadium police. He said, "Go, you need to go to the stadium police. You need to report this guy. To the game's going on. We can hear the crowd cheering. We're going around to the stadium police. Oh, my word. So we were just like, we were gutted, weren't we? And uh, we get there, and, he, and, the, and the police take them from us, and they're like, oh, no, you shouldn't buy from there. You need to buy from resale sites. Yeah, I know. They were $200. But, uh, <laughs> I said, I know we shouldn't. I know. And we hand them in, and he says, we're going to have to just they do a per whole report and everything. So we're just like. <laughs> yeah, the guy we bought them from, we asked him. Ollie actually said, are these fake? And he said, No. <laughs> He's a man of his word. <laughs> so we were just thought, well, that's it. And then the police came out and they said, okay, we filled the report out. And, uh, and they said, do you know what? We're going to give you three free tickets to get into the game. So they, they handed us three tickets. We were like, what? He said, don't tell anyone else. <laughs> I said, I won't for a while. <laughs> it's been a few months. <laughs> So it gives us three tickets for the game. It turns out to be the best game that was played all season, apparently. It's the best one I've seen. Um, <laughs> it became known as the Minneapolis Miracle. Last minute winning touchdown. But we got in. That was grace. The ones who were upholding the law, the very people who were upholding the law, turned around and they gave grace to us. They administered grace to us. And that is what God does. He is holy. He's just. And we just can't measure up. We can't measure up. However much we try to scrabble together what we have. Oh, we've got this, we've got this. That's all we've got. It's not enough. We can try and say, well, we'll use what we've got for something else. Surely it'll be okay. The day will come when we realize, "Uh uh-uh, red light, no deal. But there is one who has done enough to impress. There's one who has done enough to impress God. That is Jesus Christ. And because of him, we can receive God's lavish grace and his blessing. So last Sunday, we saw a little of that. Last Sunday, we also looked at how we've received grace for salvation. We can take Brent off. He's probably just distracting people. Um, (laughs) Or the baby is anyway. Um, That's it. Um, We looked how even when we've received salvation, we can slip back into trying to prove our worth to God, trying to keep rules. 
And often those rules are put on us by well-meaning believers. But we feel we have to keep them. We have to keep them to be a good Christian. And it ends up being a very heavy burden on us. So at the end of last week, we saw how these things cannot impress God, even when we try our best. Even when we know God, we know his love. If we're just trying to impress him the whole time, if we're just trying to do things and live the right way, it can end up just being a burden. And we won't impress God anyway. The Apostle Paul told us, tells us in the book of Romans, we are no longer married to the law. Romans 7 we looked at. We've died to it. It hasn't got any authority over us anymore. God isn't giving us a set of rules to live by. And if we allow others to impose rules on us, we're in a much worse place as well. And Paul is very strong about that in letters to the Galatians and other places as well in the New Testament. So we left things last week by asking, Does this grace, does this grace of God that we're standing in mean that we are free to live however we like, knowing we're accepted by God, knowing we're loved by God anyway? In fact, should we not just go on sinning? Should we not just go on doing whatever we feel like, whatever our body and our flesh tells us to do, just go on sinning because that's going to magnify God's grace even more. Because we keep sinning and God keeps pouring his grace out on us. And that's going to say how much more amazing God is. Because however much we keep going, he's going to keep pouring his grace on us. We should just keep doing that. And, and, and that will be wonderful. And we're not under law. That was the question that we were left with last week. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. And Paul answers it uh, as he goes on. Now, I'm going to, yay. We've got that going. So, Paul answers it in the rest of Romans 6. We're going to have a look at some of this now. He says this. If you want to turn to it, fine. If you're not, it's on the screen. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers it. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with that we may no longer be slaves to sin, should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul answers the question, should we just live however we want? And he says, no, by no means. What a terrible thought. Some translations say, what a ghastly thought. It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable that we should carry on living our lives in these ways. And he goes on to explain why. And he says, first of all, you have to understand, we've died to the law's power over us. That's what we saw last week as well. We've died with Christ. And this passage here on the, on the screen says, we have been crucified with him. We've been baptized into his death. We've died with Christ. We've been baptized into his death so that the sin which was living in us could be dealt with because we've we've died with him. So we've died to that sin. We're no longer slaves to that sin because we've died to it. We've died with Christ. The question is, do we believe that? Do we we believe what the Bible says about that? I, I think many Christians don't believe that. But that's what the Bible says. Let's go back to the events of Good Friday. You'll know the Bible story. Good Friday, Jesus on the cross. Who was, on, who was next to Jesus when he was being crucified on the cross? Pop quiz. Two thieves. Betty, how do you know it was two thieves who died with Jesus on the cross? Because it says so in the Bible. None of us question that. None of us question that two thieves died with Jesus on the cross because it says so in the Bible. But it also says in the Bible, we have died with Christ. But do we really believe that? We are now dead to sin. It says it in the Bible. But many of us think, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that is true. I don't know if that is true of me. 
It doesn't feel true of me. It doesn't feel like I've died to sin. I know I still get tempted. Some people in our life group this week were saying some of those things. I don't, I don't know. Do I, have I really been crucified with Christ? Have I really been baptized into his death? Have I really died to sin? The Bible tells us that we have, but we struggle to believe it. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. So we have to tell ourselves that truth, but instead we tell ourselves, oh no, well, we're sinners. Often we say that. We say, oh, I've messed up. Well, we're all sinners, aren't we? We're just sinners. Some people say, oh, Christians are just, are just one, one sinner telling another sinner where to find bread, where to find some life. No, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that we are sinners. The Bible tells us we're freed from sin. The Bible calls us saints. You read um, the, the Gospels and the epistles and the letters that Paul writes. He calls people uh, in the church as saints. He says, you are saints, not sinners. The Bible tells us we're righteous, not because we're good in and of ourselves, but because we have had the righteousness, the goodness of Christ imparted to us, and we have his spirit living in us. That doesn't mean we will never sin. Of course it doesn't mean we will never sin, because our bodies have not yet been redeemed. We have the spirit of God living in us, but we're still in our old earthly bodies. But one day, our bodies will also be redeemed. When Jesus returns and we, get to no, and we spend eternity with him in heaven, we will have new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll have new bodies. And then there'll be no more pain. And there'll be no more suffering. And there'll be no more sickness. And there'll be no more crying and mourning and all of those things. And there will be no more temptation either. Because our old bodies are the ones which lean towards those things. It's seduced and pulled. But we need to know we have a new spirit in us. If we know Christ, we have a new spirit in us. And, and this, go, this goes back to what um, Gary was saying. It was great what Gary was saying earlier. Because, uh, because it's exactly what I was going to bring in this message and what I'm going to bring now. Because Gary was saying in Romans 6, it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. The NIV says, Count yourselves dead to sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. But that is a term that is an accounting term. So reckon is a, is a great translation of it and is the translation that's used often. Reckon yourself dead to sin. So when you're reckoning something, if you're an accountant, you can, in the old way of doing it, you moved something from one column to another. It was about moving things and putting them in the right column. And so we have to line up in the right column. See, we stand and say, well, we're in the column of sinner. We're a sinner. This is where we are. And Paul is saying, no, you need to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. So we need to move our thinking. We need to move ourselves and position ourselves in the column that says we're alive in Christ. We're new creations. So Paul says, because you're here don't let sin reign in your mortal body, the body that you've still got, the body that's not being redeemed yet. You need to sow to the Spirit. You need to count yourself dead to sin. Change your thinking. That's the first thing that we have to do. We have to believe it. If we don't believe it, we will live the way that we think, as Gary was saying. How we think affects everything. So we have to change our thinking. If we see ourselves we're a sinner, we're hopeless. Oh, I'm always going to fail. Well, of course you're going to fail. Now, some people just tell themselves truths. We see it in schools a lot. They say, oh, no, tell yourself this. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm not good at maths yet. I will be good at math. Maybe, maybe you will. It's, it's probably good. But some things you can't just, it's not just positive thinking. Paul isn't saying just, just do a bit of positive thinking. He's saying Change your thinking and line up with what the Bible says. Line up with what the Word of God says about your life. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But you need to do all these things because you've changed your thinking. My old um, pastor used to tell a story of, uh, of when he went to visit someone and uh, he was chatting to them, and he, he could see this dog that they got, and this dog was just tearing around in circles. Round and round and round it goes. 
and he, he's, he's trying to conduct the conversation and he's, he just keeps getting distracted by this dog because this dog's just running round and round. And eventually he says to his, his friend, why is your dog just, just doing that? Why is he running round in circles? And his friend said, well, this, I've rescued this dog. This dog used to be pretty badly um, treated and it was chained to a metal post the whole day. Every day, all day, every day. It's just on this chain, chained to a metal post. All it did was run around in circles because it was chained to the post. It couldn't run away anywhere else, round and round and round in circles. And so that's what he does. He just runs around and around in circles. And my, and my, my pastor said, someone needs to tell that dog that it's free. Someone needs to tell that dog that it's free. Well, we need to know that we are free too. Because otherwise, we're just going to run around and around in the same old circles. But we're free. We don't have to go those ways anymore. Paul's saying, don't offer your parts of your body to sin. But offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from life, death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, for you're not under law, but under grace. When sin was our master, we couldn't do anything else. We had to do what our master tell us. Sin was our master. We've got to do, oh, okay, we're going to say, okay, this is how we live. Now, God is our master. We can, we can give ourselves to God. We can give ourselves to righteousness. We don't have time to go into it, but, but Romans 7 talks more about now we're slaves to righteousness. We've got a new master. And it's not that we're some burden, because, because actually we'd love to go his way. Read Romans 6 and Romans 7 some more just to get hold of this. We've been set. We're no longer married to Mr. Law, as I said last week. We've been joined to Christ. So we gladly offer ourselves to him. See, we used to be married to this Mr. Law, Romans 7, start of Romans 7, where he, he's just a, a, a cruel husband. He's a perfect husband in some ways, but he's always, he's always picking fault with us. He's always telling us what we're getting wrong. He's always criticizing, pointing out our failures, leaving us feeling miserable. But Christ fills us with his spirit and he empowers us to live a life of holiness, which is pleasing to God. And so now we can fly because we've got his spirit in us. Romans 7 and verse 6 says, Now by dying to what, once, to what bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. You see, we're not just being told what we have to do now. Now We're filled with the Spirit. We've got a new master, and it's, it's bubbling up from within us because the Spirit is within us. We've still got this battle against the flesh, but we can sow to the Spirit. We can say, we're going we're gonna to get behind what the Spirit's doing in us. John Bunyan said this once, Run, John, run, the law commands. It gives me neither feet nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Sums it up. The law tells us, come on, run, try harder. But, but we haven't got any feet or arms. How can we do it? We can't. The gospel says, you can fly. And gives us wings. Fills us with the spirit. So the grace of God isn't even saying we don't have to do these things. You remember last week, if you were here, I gave a whole long list of things that, that people might tell us that we have to do if we're a Christian. Going from reading our Bible to praying to going to church meetings to, and then things that we shouldn't do, like maybe listening to certain types of music or watching certain things. And the whole long list of things. Grace isn't even saying we don't have to do those things. Because grace takes us out of the whole realm of have to and don't have to. We're not even in that ballpark. We're not even thinking about don't have to or have to. Before grace, we were told or felt we had to do certain things. We don't have to do certain things. Don't get drunk. Don't smoke. Don't have sex outside of marriage. It's just a list of rules. It's just a burden. We're free from those rules now. The law doesn't have any authority over us anymore. But we've also been set free from have to or don't have to. Because when the Spirit's living in us, we live in the ballpark of want to. Suddenly, it's not have to, don't have to. I want to. I want to do these things. I want to live a life this way. I, and, and God empowers me to, so I get to. It's not like I want to and I, and, and I can't make it. I can't ever achieve it. No, the spirit in me means I get to. And, and the desire in me means I'm going to. That's how I'm going to live. 
That's how it works with life in the spirit. All those things that can look like heavy burdens or rules, if we've got it under a legalistic view, uh, perspective, suddenly looks very different. Suddenly, it is very different. Now, I'm aware for some of us, this can seem like a huge leap. This can seem like a huge leap forward. But my prayer is that God will begin to open our eyes and work in our hearts today by his spirit. And I would encourage you, read these two chapters in Romans and try and say, God, what are you saying to me? God, will you change my heart? God, will you change my perspective on this so that I can see things in a different way? Because some of us, even now, if we're used to thinking in that legalistic mindset, we, we still think in that way. So even now, Mark's, the people will be thinking, okay, so Mark's telling us that I ought to want to. No. <laughs> I'm not saying you ought to want to. You ha- oh, I have to want to. I have to want these things now. No. It's not even in that ballpark. It's Jesus in me. It's a new covenant covenant by the Spirit. We're not trying to impress people, convince people, but we're not lazy or rebellious either. We come to a place where we know we've been loved by God. God's at peace with us. Wrath is turned aside. God loves us. We, We love him. God's glad you belong to him. That's true. God's glad you belong to him. So we're secure. We're secure in our relationship with God. And because we're secure, it means we're zealous for God. We're motivated. We press on into everything because we know what God's got for us, what he's done for us, and that he will bless us with even more blessings. Let's see how it works out in practice. Here's a passage Brent spoke on the other week. So some of us will know it well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, we want you to know about the grace... God has given to the Macedonian churches. So he's saying to the Corinthian church, we want you to know about the grace that the Macedonian churches have understood. So the context of this is there was a famine in Jerusalem and uh, Paul was getting money. He was collecting money uh, to take from all the different churches to the churches in Jerusalem because they were in a famine. So he's going around and he's collecting it. And he's collecting from the Corinthian church as well. And Paul hadn't even gone to the Macedonian churches. He'd not even asked them because they were poor themselves. It says in the midst of a very severe trial and extreme poverty. So that they're not in a good spot themselves. So Paul's, Paul's left them to it. Well, not left them to it, but he's, he's kind of not, he's not asking them for the money. But God had given them grace. They'd understood what it was to receive from God and what his grace meant. And so what was the result of that? Entirely on their own, no one's putting heavy pressure on them. No one's turning the screw. No one's saying, come on, guys, just even a few cents you can give. Entirely on their own, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. That's what grace does. When something stirs you in your heart and no one's telling you what to do, it's entirely on your own and you're saying, but this is what I want to do. I don't want to miss out in this. I've been blessed myself. I want to bless someone else. I know I'm going to be, I know I'm struggling, but you know what? I'm going to trust God because God pours his blessings out on me and I'm going to receive more from him anyway and I'm trusting that. And I know he's my father, my good, good father and and I'm loved by him as we've been singing this morning. So I, I, I want to give. And it goes on and says, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. There's a miracle gone on there. They gave more than they could. That doesn't even make sense. How different would it have been if Paul had told them to? If they're really struggling, and they're really poor, and they're up against it, and they get, and they get Paul coming and knocking on their door and saying, come on, guys. Where's your part? Where's your part in this? Are you Christians or not? You've got to do it. Now, how different would that have been in their hearts? Totally different. It's heaviness. It's pressure. Oh, I don't know if I can. Instead, it's faith and it's joy and it's pleading and saying, I want to do it. Hey, this is what God's got for us. God wants us to see Christian life in this way. Not just pressure and burden, but joy and life and freedom. 
So instead of being distant from God, we can come into his presence in worship and in prayer. And, and we know he hears us and he'll answer us. And we can read his word and we, and we can get to know his heart for us even more and his great love for us. And it's not like I have to read 15 minutes a day or five chapters a day or whatever it is to get through the Bible in a year if we put that on ourselves or someone else puts it on us. And we can be encouraged and strengthened as a church as we gather together. And we can be generous to others because we're not fearful that God won't provide for us. And it all happens because joy rises in our hearts. We can tell other people about Jesus. I heard a story once of someone who, they, they, they weren't a Christian and, and, they, and then they heard about God's love and they heard, they heard how Jesus forgave them and, and how Jesus died on a cross for their sins and they could receive total forgiveness and they could receive this new life in him and, 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 and freedom and everything that it brings. And they were unsure. They said, do you know what, this is an amazing message and I, I, I get it, but I'm just not sure I want to give my life to Jesus. And uh, their friend who was telling them about Jesus said, well, why not? And, and the guy said, well, I really, I don't want to, I know, I know I'm supposed to tell everyone, other people about Jesus if I do that. I know I'm supposed to tell them and I don't really want to. Like, I don't want to go to, and tell, it's, it's just awkward. It's just awkward going up to people and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you want to hear about Jesus? I, I don't want to do that. He said, so I don't know if I want to be a Christian. So that friend said, look, you just need to forget about that. Well, I can't forget about it because I think I should do it. And, and they said, no, you don't. You don't, you don't even need to don't even need to think about it. Don't do it. Well, I don't need to tell other people. I can become a Christian and not tell anyone else. Sure. If you don't want to tell anyone else, you don't have to tell anyone else. You can become a Christian. So it's not part of the deal. No, it's not part of the deal. You don't have to tell other people. I can just keep it a secret. Yeah. You can just keep it a secret. Oh, okay. Great. Let's go for it. So they pray and they ask and he, and this guy asks Jesus into his life. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he receives the love and joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to follow Jesus. And immediately he goes round to his family. And, he, and he, he goes round and he goes, guess what? He said, I've just come to know the love of God in Jesus. I've got peace in my heart. I've been filled with his spirit. Do you know what the best news of all is? I don't have to tell anyone about it. See, God's grace sets us free from the power of sin and the authority of the law to, to live by the Spirit. And it just bubbles out of us. And God's grace also frees us from dead works. What do I mean by this? This is what I want to look at at the end today. God's grace frees us from dead works. Hebrews chapter 9 says that... Woo, says this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify, will, will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, Jesus' death and blood on the cross, it purifies our conscience from dead works, sets us free from dead works, in order to serve the living God. So what does that mean? What is a dead work? Well, to start off with, a dead work is a work that doesn't have faith in it. In other words, when we don't have any sense or expectation of what God is going to do through that work when we do it. We've got no sense of, sense of belief or anything. We're just doing it because maybe that's the way it's always been done. Maybe that's what we've always done. For some people, coming to a church meeting on a Sunday morning might be a dead work. Because if they just do it, because that's what they've done. They've always been told on a Sunday morning, you go to church. That's just what you do. Oh, okay. Well, I've got to go to church. It's Sunday. I've got to go to church. But they come without any expectation of meeting with God, without any expectation of what God's going to do in their life, without any expectation of what God might be wanting to do in the church, without any expectation of God, what God might want to be doing in and through the person themselves, when they come, they just come because that's what you do on a Sunday. Then that's a dead work. It might not be a dead work for everyone else, or for other people, they might be coming full of faith and full of expectation, and, hey, I'm believing God for this. But if you just come because it's what you do, it's a dead work. 
It's Thanksgiving weekend this weekend, and um, as you all know, and uh, we we don't have Thanksgiving in the UK, but we do have a lot of uh, of roast dinners, and uh, it's it's good to have roast turkey or something on Thanksgiving. Uh, often on Sundays, people uh, or on the weekends, people have roast dinners. Maybe it's pork, maybe it's beef, uh, whatever it is, um, a, a large cut of meat. And uh, Terry Virgo tells a story of how. Um, there was this, uh, this family, and the girl said to the mother, you know when you do the roast beef, and you, you, you put it in the oven, why do you chop the two ends of the, of the meat off and place them on the top? Why do you do that? You do it every time. And the mother said, ah, oh, I, I don't really know. I don't really know the reason for it. I, I know your grandma always used to do it. Um, I mean, maybe it's because uh, some of the juices run down from those pieces of meat and they run into the other and make it more tender. I, I really don't know. But, but Grandma's coming for a meal today, so why don't you ask her? So the girl says, okay, I'll do that. So Grandma comes and, uh, and she says, Grandma, uh, why, why do you put the meat, why do we do the meat thing where we chop the two ends of the meat off and we put it on the top? And uh, she said, I asked Mom, she doesn't know. And Grandma says, oh, you still do that? And she said, well, yeah, but, but why? She said, you always did it. She said, yeah, we did always do it. She said, our oven was really small. We, had to, we couldn't get it in. We just had to chop the ends off, stack them on top. <laughs> You've got this huge oven. Why do you do it? <laughs> we, can, we can end up doing things that used to have a reason and a purpose behind them. But, but now we just do them. And we don't know why. We don't know why we do them. Oh, it's just what we do. It's just what we do. If we do something, we need to have hope and ex expectation that God will work. Because what we do should spring out of faith. Actually, the Bible says if something doesn't come from faith, it's sin. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. That's pretty <laughs> heavy, isn't it? But um, it kind of makes you sit up. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. God's asking us to do everything that we do out of faith. And that doesn't mean, oh, we've got to drum something up. It means, well, what are we believing God for with this? Why are we doing it? Churches can end up running lots of meetings or activities which are dead works because that's just the way it's always been done. You know, I used to go to another church. We used to, on, good, on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, we used to get these, these crosses. They were made, uh, I guess they were made out of palm, something. Anyway, they were just these little crosses that we'd have. And, we'd, and we would get them, and it was a bit embarrassing. We would all march out of the church building, and we'd march around the community holding these crosses. And, and I said to someone once, and people would be like looking at us going, what are you doing? And I said to someone in the church once, why are we doing this? And they said, I don't know, it's just what we do on Palm Sunday. Like, why? There's probably a good reason behind it to start off with. Someone probably thought, hey, let's, I don't know what the reason was, but we lost it somewhere along the way. And we're just doing it. Palm Sunday, that's what you do on Palm Sunday. Sometimes as individuals, we can get pulled into dead works as well. Maybe because someone asks us to do something and, and, and there's a need for it, but it might not be what God wants us to do. And maybe we sense ourselves it's not what God wants us to do. And there's not a real joy and a passion about it. But there's a need and someone's got to do it. And maybe people will even say, well, someone's got to do it. But it can be a dead work. I've known people serve on, in, in areas of church life. Like Sunday children's work is a, is a good example of one. Just because they feel they should. Or because someone said, well, you know what? If you've got kids, then you ought to serve there. So why should someone else look after your kids? Okay, so I'll do it. And you kind of feel a bit guilted into it. You know, we've got to be aware of that word ought. If someone says ought or should to you, that, that should be a beep, beep, beep. That should be a warning sign. Legalism alert. <laughs> do we really want our children going to Christ Central Kids and being looked after by people, taught by people who are only there because they've been told they should do it and they've got no faith for it? And they've got no real joy in it. And they're just standing there and thinking, oh, I hate kids. <laughs> I hate everyone else's kids anyway. I'm here because I've got kids myself. And then it gets towards the end of the meeting. Oh, I wish they'd hurry up. Finishing that main meeting. Oh, no, they're singing the second worship song at the end now. Oh, no. 
oh no, it sounds like God's at work, God's doing something, oh, I've got to stay in here even longer with these kids. Is that, is that what we want for our kids? We want them being served in the children's work by people who are full of love and faith and, and, and belief of what God's going to do in those children and in, in and through those children. So we want people on the welcome team who don't want to be there. Oh, welcome to Christ Central. It's a bit early, isn't it? We don't. It's not what we're looking for. It's dead work. For some people, it's what they should be doing. They're full of joy. They're full of faith. They love it. Don't do it if it's a dead work. Jodie Ward's not here. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) No, do tell her I said that. A dead work is also something that's not motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Famous passage. If I speak in the tongues of men, or angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and, and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. A dead work is where you're doing something, but there's no motivation of love. You're just doing stuff, and it's useless. Compare two passages here, two uh, things that are said to the church in the New Testament. Here's one in Revelation. Jesus speaking to his church in Ephesus, I think. And he says this, I know your deeds, so they're doing stuff. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. There's a lot of stuff there that they've done. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you first had. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Oh, we're doing a load of stuff. We're doing all these things. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Whatever that means. The presence of God will be removed from you. Your church will slowly die. But we're doing a load of stuff. But you've not got love. It's not motivated and driven by love. It's motivated just by other things. And Jesus is saying, don't keep doing that. Stop it. This isn't just a like, oh, I suppose it's not a good thing to do. Jesus is saying, stop it, or I will remove my lampstand from you. You won't have my presence anymore. Compare that with First First Thessalonians. (laughs) Chapter 1. Paul says to them, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father, our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Your labor is prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's remembering all the things that they do as well, but he's saying, and what are they inspired by? Faith, hope, love. That's what's motivating them. And Paul's saying, I'm commending you for that. Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, I'm not commending you for that. I have this against you. So why do we do these things? Why do we end up doing stuff just out of guilt or whatever, dead works? Well, Hebrews 9 seems to indicate we do them out of a bad conscience. And that's what we need to be cleansed from. We do them because we think, well, what will people think of me if I don't do it? A whole whole church can be more manipulated by guilt. Everything can be busyness coming from pressure, either from leaders or from ourselves. People who haven't understood grace can be the biggest, busiest people in the church. But it might be because they're working as hard as they can to get rid of this guilt that they're feeling. You know, we've we've got to see it from a different perspective. We've got to step away from it. We've got to realize that where there's pressure to do this work which is affecting our conscience, we don't have to. People can trouble your conscience by saying these things like someone ought to do it. If someone says you ought to do this, here's a good verse to quote back at them. Romans 4, verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteous. You could say, 
It's all right. I know I don't work. I know I don't serve. But I'm righteous. Now, it's great if we don't stay there. But hey, that's a much better place to be than just doing the stuff out of guilt or obligation. God's not going to be impressed by people who do things just because they feel they ought to. If I bought a gift for Debbie on her birthday, and she opened it and she said, oh, thank you, that's amazing. And I just said, well, it's your birthday, I guess I ought to. She's not going to be that impressed with me. But if I do it because of my love for her, that's different, isn't it? There are so many things in our society and schools that we're being told that we have to do or there's pressure to do. It comes in a lot, you know, and people look down on us if we don't do it. Oh, we've got to wear a poppy on Remembrance Day. We've got to wear a pink T-shirt anti-bullying day. We've got to wear an orange T-shirt. We've got to do a good deed. Why? Because Becca told me to. What? None of these... And none of these are bad things to do. And I'm not, hear me right, I'm not saying don't wear a poppy on Remembrance Day, don't wear a pink t-shirt, don't wear an orange t-shirt, you know, stand up for... I'm not, all these are good things to do. But if we do them because someone told us to, whether it's Becca or someone else, it's a form of dead work, it's a form of legalism, and it slips into the church. What we want is people serving because there's a different spirit about them. We've got some friends coming here next week, actually. And uh, in, our, in our previous church, we used to have a team of people who, who would do the, um, the kind of catering for weddings and things like that. But they, uh, it, many of them in the team had slipped into a kind of heaviness and a legalism about doing it. And it was miserable, honestly. People would be at their weddings and they'd be like, oh, can I just get some more gravy for that? No, there's not enough gravy for everyone else. You can't, go away. Oh, okay. <laughs> And it was all just this like, <laughs> so we stopped it. We stopped the team. We just said, well, people are just going to have to hire their own, rent their own caterers. And then someone in the church, this woman, Anne, who's, who will be here next week, she said, do you know what? I've really, got, I've really understood hospitality from the Bible. I've really understood that it's a great way to communicate God's love and just serve people and bless them and, and do it through food. So can I set a team up of people who feel the same way and can we, and can we serve at weddings and, and different things? And we said, of course you can. Do you know how different it was? Man, they were a happy team. They would be in the kitchen, they'd be singing, they'd be washing up, they'd be cooking. It would be hard work, but there would be joy there. They'd be serving people. People would be saying, wow, what an amazing team of people you've got. They just seem to love doing it. What, they're not being paid for it? No, they've spent all week preparing and all day to day. What? Why do they do that? Because they've got hold of something different. They've got a different spirit about them. God gives different gifts to each of us in the church and he imparts faith. And we're motivated by love of him and love of others. I encourage you, find the thing that God has for you to do. God has things for every one of us to do. But it's not in a heavy way. It's in a way that's going to give us life and joy and we're going to love doing. In Acts 13, King David is described as having died and it said he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. He was a man after God's own heart. And what he did was motivated by the love of God. Living works get the will of God done. Dead works just get religion working. So find out. And the Bible tells us the church is the way to find out. Just serve at first if you want. If you don't know how to do it, just, just okay. I met a couple last week, new to the church, and they said to us, do you know what? We just want to serve. We don't care where we serve. We'll just serve anywhere. It's like, Wonderful. But after a while, you'll find out what you're gifted at. You'll find out what God's given you a passion for and we'll release you into it. And, and in the, a good functioning body, we'll encourage you and we'll shape you and help you and maybe at times correct you, but we'll love you and it'll be fine and you'll grow in God. Once we're free from the pressure and the constraints and the powerlessness of law and the misery of dead works, we can find life. We can find power, we can find faith, and we can find strength in the Spirit. And we won't just waste our lives getting involved in useless or destructive things. We'll be motivated by God's love and grace, and we'll serve him gladly, fulfilling God's purposes, advancing the kingdom. Let's not waste our lives. Let's find and understand these things. King Saul said at the end of his life, I've sinned, I've played the fool. 
How sad. Yet the other Saul, also known as Paul, at the end of his life said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award, uh, award to me. God will be pleased and he will reward us when we live our lives this way. And we've not even got time to look into rewards, but there'll be rewards too. Church, let's throw off the shackles of the law. Let's believe who we are in God. Let's reckon, our, reckon ourselves dead to sin, to know that we're free. And then in that freedom that Jesus has won for us, let's walk away from dead works, but walk into the grace that he's won for us. And all that that means and all that we will do in and for his glory, serving in his kingdom, advancing his kingdom, serving in the church, knowing he's got a great reward for us, full of joy, life in the spirit. That's what we're about. This is us. This is us. In faith, church, this is us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you have set us free from the shackles of sin. Thank you we're no longer under law. Thank you we stand in grace. Lord, I pray, help us to work it out in our lives. Help us to work it out. Spirit of God, even now, I pray, you will begin moving around this room and you will just release people from the bondage that they are in. The bondage to always have to impress. The bondage to have to live because our lives, because others are expecting us to live that way, or even because we feel you have to live that way, Lord, set us free right now. Holy Spirit, be moving. Release those chains. Open our eyes to a new way. Lord, I pray, even those who have maybe understood some of this for the first time today, Lord, I pray, let the enemy not tell us lies, or let us not believe the lies of the enemy, because the enemy will tell us lies. Let us not believe the lies of the enemy that bring us back to that place of bondage. Thank you, God, we are free in you. Help us to walk in your ways by the power of your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Mark. Why don't we all stand? We're going to uh, soon finish our meeting together this morning. I feel like God is trying to get our attention this morning. And... I think for some of us, this whole idea of the 